So here we go. We're in, in part four of our series, God Behaving Badly. Now, the title of the series, God Behaving Badly, uh, it, it causes you to respond to that title. And you would either respond like this, yes, God does behave badly, or no, that, what a bad title. God does not behave badly. But, but uh, the title was so you can respond to it. The, the Bible is a book of response. We can respond to it. We can say, I believe that or I don't, but it's a response. You have to respond to it when you read, when you read the Bible. The Bible's not a book of application. It's a book of response. Do we respond to it or not? Do we believe Jesus died on the cross for me and was raised or didn't he? So the series, God Behaving Badly, you need to respond. And what an amazing series we've had. The first week we looked at, is God sexist? Is God sexist? And we looked at some of these uncomfortable verses. This is what the series is about. Looking at these verses that we, we kind of like, mm, I wish it didn't say that. Or, or it, it says this, but I wish it unpacked it a little bit more. Um, or, you know, and so we looked at, we looked at these uncomfortable um, passages. God is God sexist? Can woman minister? Can woman lead a congregation and preach? If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's fantastic. And then part two was this, was this question. If you missed it, you need to listen to this one. Is God homophobic? We had guest speaker, Pastor Mike Griffith, Griffiths, coming from Auckland. So if no one liked the message, they can just hate him instead of me. So that's why God, no, just it's a great message, powerful message. Uh, and what we learn is God is not phobic about anything, but we can be. It's a great message, you need to listen to it. Last week we looked at this question, and this was this, is God racist? Is God into genocide? Is he into, racial, is he into ethnic cleansing? So we looked at some of these difficult passages in the Bible. And so if you're wondering what we're going to talk about today, well, I, before we get into that, I was just thinking of a TV show that me and my wife used to love watching. Um, it was a forensic drama show on TV called Bones. Does anybody remember a TV series called Bones? Now, Bones is about um, an FBI agent. His name is Booth. And a forensic anthropologist, named, her nickname was Bones, and that would investigate crime using science. It was, it was amazing. Well, um, Bones, she was an atheist, and FBI agent Booth was a devout Catholic. They also happened to be married, which was also kind of interesting because it was kind of interesting discussion about faith on the show. Uh, and one of these episodes was um, Agent Booth was really uncomfortable about uh, one of the victims. The victims apparently looked like that she was beaten. Now, the reason why this made Booth really uncomfortable was the fact that her husband, they looked like they was beating his wife, was a pastor. And for Booth, he couldn't reconcile. How can a pastor beat his wife? How can a pastor do that? And so Bones responds to Booth by giving her logical approach to how this could happen. And, and this is what Bones says to her husband Booth. This is what she says in, in response to how a, how a pastor can beat his wife. This is what she says. Violence would be a logical extension of his belief. The Bible features a vengeful God who capriciously slaughters the creatures he creates. Sweets will characterize him as a sociopath. Then Booth responds, wait, God is not a sociopath. Then Bone says, well, let's just say I don't want him babysitting our child. Okay, so it's really interesting that uh, there are people who actually believe this. There are a lot of assumptions around this because of some difficult passages that, that well, you know what, the, the, the God of the New Testament is loving, but the God of the Old Testament is angry. He's an angry God. But you know, it's really interesting. When we read passages of Jesus, Jesus does get angry. But when Jesus does get angry, it's not about an ang anger about himself and trying to protect himself, but it was anger about standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. So Jesus, Jesus did get angry, and Jesus was loving. So the God of the New Testament is angry, 
and also loving. Likewise, the God of the Old Testament is angry and loving. And the reason why that has happened is because they're both the same God. There's no two different gods. There's one God. God is both loving and he does get angry. Let me ask you a question. Do you get angry? Anybody not get angry? Uh, so if you get angry, does that make you an angry person? And why do you, why do you get angry? What, what, what's the reason? You, why do you get angry? And so therefore, does God get angry? And the answer is yes, God does get angry. So are you ready to look at an angry verse? Want to look at a very angry verse? Let's, let's have a look at an angry verse, okay? I thought, let's start with a kind of difficult verse, and that's what we kind of like doing on, on this series. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 25, and, and it goes like this. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns. It burns against His people. So it's talking about Israel, the chosen ones. His anger burns against His people. If it burns against His people, how does his anger, can you imagine what his anger was like to those that aren't his people? So God's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. I thought make that kind of like dramatic effect anyway. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. Oh my goodness, all these dead bodies. Oh my goodness. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away and he's still and his hand is still upraised. And for many of us, this is how we see God. God is waiting for us to make a mistake so he can strike. Right? He's, God is somewhere up there. He's, so, he's distant, and he's waiting for us to make a mistake so he can strike us down. And for many of us, this is how we, we, we see God. And, and, and um, because there seems like this verse, there's a lot of anger in this verse. And if we take this verse in isolation, then yes, it does sound like the that the, the God of the Old Testament is an angry, vengeful God. He's not just God that gets angry. He is an angry God. It seems like that. But the prophet Isaiah is warning God's people that God's judgment is coming against them because they had turned away from God. They had become corrupt. They had become arrogant. And, and, and God had enough. So God gets angry, but, um, but God is also patient. But God's patient, there's limits to this patient, patience. So what does he do? Invading what happens in the story when we read Isaiah, Isaiah's prophesying, not just in this passage, but this whole chapter, that invading armies are going to come and bring God's judgment upon the nation. And when these invading armies come, it's going to leave dead bodies in the streets. In the streets. So God's anger is no joke, right? And this is why it makes us uncomfortable. God's anger makes us uncomfortable when we read these passages in the Bible. In fact, God's anger is one of the main reasons people state for not liking God in the first place because of these kind of passages. He's an angry God. I don't, I don't want to serve an angry God like that. He's crazy. Why, why would we, he just wants to strike us down. Why would we want to serve a God like that who's, who, who is, who is a, he does sound like a sociopath. Is, is, is God a sociopath? In ancient Booth, in the words of ancient Booth, says, wait, God is not a sociopath. So let's continue. Because as we begin to explore these passages, and as we begin to, to read the biblical stories of God's anger, what we'll discover is that it is a lot more complex and, and a lot more nuanced than that, than what we assume about God's anger. So God does get angry. You get angry. But He's got good reasons for getting angry. In fact, God wouldn't be good if He didn't have strong reactions to evil and injustice. If you saw injustice on the street, would that make you angry? Have you witnessed injustice? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you witnessed someone being mistreated by someone else? Have you ever gotten angry because you saw injustice happen before you? Have you ever reacted? 
Now, if, if you saw some injustice going on where someone's being mistreated, and if, if you don't get angry, what does that say about you? It says there's something wrong with you emotionally or mentally. It means you're mentally or emotionally unstable. Because when injustice happens, it causes a response, and it causes a response of being angry, of injustice. And if you've seen injustice, it causes you to do something. You either like walk away and just be angry, or you get angry and you do something. So anger can be a protective energy, right? And this is how the God's anger is expressed in the Bible. It's, a, it's an expressed in this way that God's anger is, a, is, is expressed as a protective energy. God is not a volatile, angry being who loses his cool now and then. He's not that at all. When we read Scripture, he doesn't just lose his cool like he's just volatile, like you've got to walk on eggshells around God. Otherwise, he's gonna... When we read the narratives, it's clear that he's not like that at all. Rather, God's anger is measured, and it's a reasonable response to injustices that happen and evils that happen. So what does God's anger look like? Right? like the first thing we've got to know about God's anger is that it is slow. In fact, um, when God talks about his character, this is what he talks about his character, uh, how he talks about himself. In fact, when he's talking to Moses, this is what he says about his character. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slowed to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You know, this passage is the most quoted passage within the Bible. It's the most quoted passage within the Bible. It's quoted over and over again within the Bible itself. The, the, the words that God spoke to Moses. That, that God is, is a God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And this phrase, slow to anger, in Hebrew, the literal translation, slow to anger, is actually long nose. That God is long nose. And, uh, and what that means is, because the word anger in Hebrew language, the word anger means hot nose hot nose, and, it's, and it's, 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 it's their way of trying to articulate what happens when you get angry. You get red on the face to get hot nose, okay? So uh, if you're angry, you go, oh, that person's got a hot nose, hot nose, it's, he's angry. And so when the Bible says that God has a long nose, what it's saying is that God's nose takes a long time to get hot, slow, and that interpretation is slow to anger. We know God doesn't have a nose, okay, but it's, it's, it's our way of trying to describe this kind of emotion. That God is long of nose, slow to anger, slow to anger. And then that's what this phrase is. But here's the thing, God is patient. Why is God patient? Why is God slow to anger? He's patient because he gives us plenty of chances to rethink and to change our ways. Amen? I'm so glad that we serve a God of second chances. Anybody in this room glad that we serve a God of second chances? Anybody in this room know what it's like to have a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance? It goes on and on and on and on to the break of dawn. Anyway, anyway, let's read this passage. Let's, this great example is in the story of Jonah. And many of us in this room are familiar with the story of Jonah. Even if you've never read the Bible, you're familiar with the phrase Jonah and the whale. You, you may, they may, that, that might, all you know about Jonah is Jonah and the whale, but you don't know what the story is about. So let's read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Amittai. So, oh, I, think he's, I feel like he's an islander. Amitai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitai. Anyway. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. So what does God want to do to Jonah? Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. That's what God wants to do, right? This doesn't sound nice. Because it's of its wickedness. 
has come up before me. Okay, so it sounds like God's running out of patience for Nineveh. Go to the city and preach against it that its wickedness has come up before me. So what does Jonah do? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is, many scholars believe this is Spain. Headed off to Spain. He went down to Joppa. Everybody say Joppa. Joppa. Went to Joppa. Where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So why didn't Jonah want to go? Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Is he like, oh man, I don't want to go to a city and tell them and condemn them. That's real. Oh, I'm a, such a nice guy. I don't want to go there and tell them that. Oh, that's, that's not a nice thing to do. Now, actually, Jonah, the reason why Jonah didn't go is because he hated the people of Nineveh. Oh, hated, hate, hated. Man, that's a hard word. Well, actually, that's probably the best way I can describe it. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. In fact, if you're an ancient Israelite and you're reading this text, you, you'll have sympathy for Jonah. When you see Jonah, God tells him to go to Nineveh and he goes the other direction. As an ancient Israelite, you'll be reading this. Oh, that makes sense. I understand that. Well, good on you, Jonah. Good on you for heading the other way. I would have headed the other direction as well. And the reason the Israelites hated the people of Nineveh, Nineveh was one of the major cities in the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were major players back in those days. In fact, they were the second great empire of the world with the Assyrians. And let me tell you something about their warfare. It was disturbing even in the day. When we look at their warfare today, it was disturbing. And what the Assyrians did to the Israelites was nasty. Was nasty. In fact, you can go to Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul, and you can find these inscriptions on the wall of what they did to the Israelites. What, not only did they chop off their heads and, and pile them up on their city gates, but they, uh, there's pictures of them that chiseled into the walls of what they did, skinning them alive on here. So how a, an ancient Israelite will see a Nineveh in our, today's term is how a Jew would see a Nazi. Nazis were bad. You know, we, we, we hear the word Nazi, bad business, right? Well, this is exactly how an Israelite will feel towards a person from Nineveh. This is why he wanted to head, and he gets to Joppa. Jonah goes to Joppa. God says, go to the people that you hate. Go to the people that are not the chosen people and, and, and speak to them. Speak to them my word. Goes to Joppa, it goes the other way. The reason I keep saying the word Joppa because I'm going to nerd out a bit and bring a bit of Bible nerd, nerdness right now. Any Bible nerds in the room? This is a side note. This is not part of the message. And uh, um, Paul always tells me off for going... Uh, off, off topic. But anyway, there's another man in the New Testament. He was in Joppa, and God calls him to go to the people that supposedly weren't the chosen people and begin to share the gospel message. And he was the son of Jonah. So we had Jonah, God gives him a message to go to the people that are not the chosen people, proclaim the message. He, so Jonah goes to Joppa and he goes the opposite direction. But the son of Jonah is in Joppa. God gives a message and he goes to them. And you know who that person was? Peter. Peter, son of Jonah. Very interesting. So we've got the son of Jonah. He's the word of God and goes to those very people in Joppa. We've got Jonah in, in Jonah, in Joppa. Goes out. Anyway, just a bit of a nerdness that you can just put in the rubbish bin or put in the, put in the dunny and flush it. Oh, up to you. Or you can just... I, I, just, I, just love, I just love what God does when I read scripture. It's, it's a unified story from start to finish. The Bible is, is amazing. Man, I just love the Bible. It's unified. When you see these things, it's unified. God is amazing. So he heads the other direction. And, 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 and for the, if you, all you know is Jonah and the whale, what we know wasn't a whale, it was a large fish. The Bible doesn't say whale, it says large fish. So this is what happens. If that's all you know, let me fill in the story. Jonah 
eventually gets tossed off, off, off board and then he gets swallowed by a large fish. While he's in the belly of the fish, he repents before God. So he spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. God orders this fish to vomit. <laughs> vomit, vomit. Can you imagine a fish vomiting someone out? Vomits it onto the shores and then Jonah goes to Nineveh and he begins to proclaim God's destruction on the city, right? Proclaiming God's destruction. But an amazing thing happens. They hear the amazing, they hear the, of God's destruction and they repent. Repent. They, they change direction. They turn away from their sins and they repent before God. The whole city, even the king, repents. And, and this is what happens next in, in the story in, in Jonah chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Oh, why did he do that? Because God has a long nose. <laughs> Slow to anger. He's got a long nose. So what was Jonah's response? Oh, praise God. You, you, what a, what, praise God. God is so good. And, and so then the next verse, which is the next chapter, the first verse and the next chapter, which is the next verse, Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, this change of plan greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Why did he get angry? So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Didn't I say you're going to do this? Didn't I say this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. This is why I ran there. So why did Jonah run? Why did he run the opposite direction? You know what? Because he, he wanted Nineveh to get their just desserts. He wanted them to be destroyed. That's what he wanted because that's justice. That, that's just. You know what they did to us? God, you need to destroy this nation. They, they deserve no mercy. He didn't want to go warn them. Why? Because, because, because Jonah knew God's character. He knew his character. In fact, he begins to quote back the words that God spoke to Moses, and he says this, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God with a long nose, slow to anger, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah is ticked. He is peed off. He's angry. But I, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad we serve a gracious God. I don't know about you, I'm so glad that we serve a God who gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. I'm so glad that God will forgive someone like me. Someone that, that, that can stand, stand in, in and proclaim his goodness. Because if I was God, I wouldn't give me a second chance of the things that I've done in my life and how I've turned my back on God. And uh, you know, when we looked at the story, we think, well, Jonah, you idiot. This is what we think, what an idiot, Jonah. But let's be honest, this is a book of response. We might say, oh, what an idiot. But then we, we honestly think about our own lives. We're just like Jonah. And our response is, am I like Jonah? And this is the dilemma we have. It's like, is that God will love my enemy the same way that he loves me? That God wants my enemy to receive mercy the same way that I received his mercy. And this is what the book of Jonah is about. The dilemma that we have. Can you think of somebody that you hate? Oh, that's a hard word. But seriously, have you, do you hate anybody? Uh, there's sometimes you wish that this person will get their just desserts. Maybe God's calling you 
to be a Jonah. You can be a Jonah or a son of Jonah who hears a message in Joppa and he goes, Simon Peter. Where's your heart with the person you hate? Well, you don't understand what they did to me. You, you, you don't, they deserve it. You, you have no... Uh, look, I'm not excusing anything that this person... Some things that people do to you, honestly, I'm not ex- excusing anything they've done, but what I'm talking about is your heart, where your heart is. You can, you can, you can uh, heap angry and evil on them, but it's just going to destroy you within. Or you can release it to God and receive the healing you need. Some, some of us are holding stuff in our hearts. Anger. Because you've got a hot nose. Any hot nose? People often say to me, they say, he's hot. Oh, sorry. Like a hot nose. Anyway. I always get that mixed up, you know. But I'm so glad that I serve a God who's compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. So how, does, how, how is God's anger expressed in the Bible? A phrase that we will hear in the Bible over and over again is this phrase, and he handed them over. And this is how most of the narrative of how God deals with with his anger, is that he handed him over or, they, or he hid his face, hid his face from them. And this is, this is the way the biblical writers would express how God, how, how, what God's anger looks like. And so, for instance, here's an example, Judges chapter 2, verse 12. And they're talking of, of the, the nation of Israel. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiped the, worshiping the gods around, around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the image of Ashtoreth. This made the, the, Lord's, the Lord's nose hot. The Lord burned with anger against Israel. So what did he do? He handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to the enemies all around them, and they were no longer able to resist them. Remember that we started with that angry verse in Isaiah? What did God do? He handed them over to the raiders. They left dead bodies in the streets. He handed them over. And when we read this, they're going, wow, man, how can these people do this? But we turn to other gods. Don't we do that today. The God of Moloch, that the Canaanites worship of sacrificing children. Today, we've got so many abortions happening throughout this land where we're sending children to die. And all these gods of pornography, and, and, and wealth that we've turned away to all these other places. And there comes a time when God hands us over. See, the biblical authors, they want us to see that God's anger is always in response to human betrayal and evil. And it's basically, it's, it's his response is handing us over, handing us, ourselves over to these things that we run after. And we receive the logical consequences of the things he hands us over to. In other words, God's anger is expressed by giving humans what they want. Or at least what they've chosen. And if we've chosen, what we've chosen is ruin and death, that's exactly what we're going to get. 
It's basically the swim between the flags. Have you ever been to Raglan before? Surf beach. One of the, one of the biggest metaphors in the Old Testament is this metaphor called, of chaotic waters. The waters are chaotic. And in the creation story, God, he brings creation out of the, the, chaos, the chaos of the waters. And if, when you go to Raglan, the waters can be really chaotic. In fact, in New Zealand, many people lose their lives every single year because they find themselves in chaotic waters where they're caught in a rip and they're pulled right out. So when you go to a surf beach that has a lot of rips and you see flags on the beach, we know they're not there by accident. Oh, look, someone left a flag in the beach. No, why are they there? What happens is the, 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 the lifeguards come along. They search the waters. They see the chaotic waters, the trouble, the turbulence, the, the rips that are in there. But they, they search the beach until they find a part of the water where it's safe to swim. And they put the flags in. They're saying, if you swim between the flags, you can enjoy the fullness, the fullness of, of the waters. All around is chaotic, but within the flags, you can enjoy the fullness of the waters, the calm waters, or the surf, calm, safe waters. And, and also, as you swim within this, if you find yourself in trouble, even within where they have, if you're in between the flags, you're swimming in the presence of the lifeguard, and all you do is raise your hands, and they're there to rescue you. But here's the thing, you can choose to swim between the flags or outside of the flags. You go to the beach, you see so many people swimming outside of it. You can choose. You can warn them, warn them, warn them, warn them, warn them. I've seen lifeguards out there, they're warning people, blowing the whistle, stay within the flags, stay within the flags. But you know what, they'll continue to go over, and what do they do? They hand them over. It's like parenting. Anybody ever had kids before? Anybody been a kid before? <laughs> Anybody been a kid in this room before? You know, when parents warn their children, it's not because we want to be party poopers. Oh, I want my kids to, uh, I just don't want them to have any fun. No, fun in this family, humbug. Huh? No, no we, we warn them because we love them. We warn them because we've seen the, we've experienced the chaos because our parents warned us we didn't listen to them. <laughs> and now we warn our kids and hoping they listen to us. We've seen that and we warn them, warn them, warn them. But if they refuse to listen, what do we do? We hand them over. Well, just go do it then. Okay, go do it. You find out. And, what, and, and they experience the consequences of what they've chosen. God loves you so much, he doesn't force you between the flags. He'll warn you, warn you, warn you, and then he'll hand you over to what you have chosen. Yeah. But I don't know about you, I'm so glad we serve a God who is long of nose. Slow to anger. God who is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in loyal love and, is, and faithfulness. See, God is not out to get you. He is patient. He is slow to anger. He is loving. He's the God of the second chances. But it's your choice to be in his loving protection or step out of his grace. It is your choice. You choose. See, in God's anger, humanity had been handed over to death, but that isn't the end of the story. Because God's love is even greater. It is God's own love that answers, that is the answer to God's wrath. Did you get that? It is God's love that is the answer to God's anger. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, instead of God handing us over, he handed himself over in the fullness of Jesus that 
his anger led to amazing grace. In fact, Romans 5 verse 6 says this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates. Demonstrates, which, which means he wasn't just so far away. He's all up here. He demonstrated. He, he came down. He came down and he binded himself with flesh in the fullness of Jesus. But God demonstrated his own love for us in, in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's while you're disloyal, while you're still spitting in his face, he died for you anyway. While you were heaping insults at him, but his love is loyal. Even when we're not loyal, his love is loyal. He didn't wait for you to say sorry. Oh, they said sorry, now I'll die for them. He died for you anyway. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Can I tell you about my God? He is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. See, even when I was none of that, that Jesus died for me. I was disloyal. I was angry. And yet he continued to hold out his hand of love towards me. When we first come to this church all those years ago, it would be a miracle. I would have thought oh, there's no way that one day I'll be standing proclaiming his name. But God, in his mercy and love and his patience, when I continued to turn my back on him, he handed me over. And I found myself in the chaotic waters. Anybody been in, in a, you felt like you've, anybody here ever feel like you've been in a storm? You ever felt like you've been in a place and, and you just couldn't see the sun anymore? You just felt darkness everywhere. You, 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 you know what I'm talking about here, right? You've been there before. And, and, and you tried, you tried, you tried, and you see no hope. And you find yourself in that chaotic water. And I found myself in that place. And I lifted up my hands. I said, please, someone rescue me. And Jesus was right there saying, here I am. And I love the story when we see Jesus walking through this chaotic waters. And this is what we're talking about, that the Bible is a unified story from start to finish. The Old Testament is this chaotic water. And then we have Jesus calming us all, walking through the chaotic water. And Peter jumps out of the boat. And he finds himself sinking. And he calls out to Jesus to help. And I love what the scripture says. It says, immediately Jesus reaches out his hands immediately. When you find yourself in the middle of the storm, I know someone who knows the way out of this chaotic storm because we serve a God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. We don't serve an angry God. We serve a God who loves you. No matter how many times 
you turn your back. And our life, many people in this room, our lives is a testimony of God's love. So as we study scripture, we discover that God never behaves badly. And yes, God does get angry, but we also discover that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. 